It's very important for us to understand the historical background of this. The ancient world of the first century had plenty of religious leaders who lusted after money. And so when Paul wrote this, and by the way, our world is no different. When Paul wrote this, they would understand that. For instance, the Pharisees were lovers of money. In Luke 8, Jesus gave some illustrations about loving money. And the Pharisees were laughing at him. They were laughing because they love money. And Jesus said, in that context, you cannot serve two gods. Either you will serve money or you will serve the Lord. John chapter 10 is Jesus presenting himself as the good shepherd and the true shepherd. And he contrasts his shepherding ministry with the Pharisee shepherding ministry. And he says in verse 12, He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hireling and isn't concerned about the sheep. Welcome to Verse by Verse, where we have been studying the standards for church leadership. Now this is very important, and so we're taking our time going through this series. We have seen that there is one main standard. An overseer must be above reproach. He must be one who cannot be accused of sin that's a pattern in his life. In today's program, we want to look at two more areas in which an elder must be blameless or above reproach and that is the financial area and the family area. Today our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, will teach us what it means to be free from the love of money. I think when we come to the end of today's broadcast, we're going to see that what applies to our leaders applies to us as well. Well, I see Pastor Steve is done with his warm-ups and is ready to go. So here now is our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we have been studying for the last few weeks the standards for church leadership. This is very important. This is very vital for us to understand. And so we're taking our time going through this. And we've seen that there is one standard, one qualification that overrides everything else. And that's found in 1 Timothy 3, 2. An overseer then must be above reproach. He must be one who cannot be accused of sin. That's a pattern in his life and it will stick. He must be one who cannot be laid hold of and brought before an accusing court and condemned because of sin. And it must be that the blamelessness in his life is evidence in certain areas. That is, there is the moral area. That is to say, as Paul puts it, he must be the husband of one wife. There is the mental area. He must be temperate, prudent, respectable. There is the social area. He must be hospitable. He must be able to teach, which means not that he has the gift of teaching necessarily, but that he is one who communicates in a sensitive and non-threatening way. And he must be one who is not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious. And those are in the social areas. Tonight we want to look at two more areas that he must be blameless in or above reproach, and that is the financial area and the family area. So let's look at that. In the financial area or the material area, the Bible says this in verse 3, he is to be free from the love of money. 
He's to be free from the love of money. This phrase is really one word in the Greek language that is a combination of two words. One word in Greek, but the Greek word is a combination of two words. Silver and love. A lover of silver is what it means, or one who loves money. An elder cannot be one who loves money. He cannot be one whose ambition is to get rich. Now, this affects everybody. It does not mean that he can't have money. It just means that it's not the pursuit of his life to make money. That's not the priority of his life. That's not the governing factor of his life. That's not the direction of his life. He may indeed make money. He may even make a lot of money. But the point is that it's not the governing pursuit of his life. You can be poor and still love money, even though you don't have it. And you can be rich and still love money. So the issue is a very broad principle. It's very important for us to understand the historical background of this. The ancient world of the first century had plenty of religious leaders who lusted after money. And so when Paul wrote this, and by the way, our world is no different. When Paul wrote this, they would understand that. For instance, the Pharisees were lovers of money. In Luke 8, Jesus gave some illustrations about loving money. And the Pharisees were laughing at him. They were laughing because they love money. And Jesus said in that context, you cannot serve two gods. Either you will serve money or you will serve the Lord. John chapter 10 is Jesus presenting himself as the good shepherd and the true shepherd. And he contrasts his shepherding ministry with the Pharisee shepherding ministry. And he says in verse 12, He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hireling and isn't concerned about the sheep. Now, a hireling was one who was obviously a hired hand. He cared nothing about the sheep. He just did it for the money. That was the religious mentality of the Pharisees. They were those who did it only for money. That was their motive. That was their purpose. That was their reason for being involved with quote-unquote religious activity. And not only was the Jewish world filled with people like that, but the pagan world was filled with religious teachers who took advantage of people financially. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now remember a few weeks ago in our morning service, we dealt with the issue of giving up your rights for the sake of weaker brothers, refraining from the use of your liberty. It's not that you're giving back your liberty, it's just that you're refraining from the use of your liberty. You are so free that you are free to refrain from something you know you could do, but you wouldn't do because it might hurt the cause of Christ and harm your testimony. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul illustrates that by himself. And we really didn't cover this specifically as we went over it, but it applies to our message tonight. 1 Corinthians 9, 11 and 12, he says this, If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much we should reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. You know what the context is? Paul is saying, and you can read it on your own, all throughout this he's saying, I have a right to receive money from you. I have a right that those who preach the gospel should live by the gospel. I have every right that I should be remunerated for my ministry to you. But he's saying here, while I have every right to be supported by you, we gladly, and I think he's referring to he and Barnabas, we gladly give up this right so that the gospel won't be hindered. 
That's a magnificent statement. We have every right to be supported. A laborer is worthy of his hire. Paul had no problem asking that others be taken care of financially. But he said for himself, he wouldn't do that. Now let me explain. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, and the Gentile world was filled with plenty of religious hucksters, peddlers, people who looked at religion as a way to get rich. Now this is different. Unlike the Jewish world where Peter operated and others, I don't see Peter refraining from taking money. In fact, if you look back at chapter 9, you'll see that Paul is saying, am I the only one to do this? Why doesn't Peter do this? Why should we have to do this? And so forth. He contrasts himself with Peter. Why did Peter not refrain from being financially supported? Because unlike the Jewish world, which was accustomed to supporting God's man, the Gentile world wasn't. They had many priests and many religious leaders who exploited the people and took advantage of them financially. And Paul didn't want to be identified with them. He didn't want to come into a community, preach the gospel, lead some people to the Lord, and then say, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, you ought to support me financially. How would that look? Well, it would look like he was there to get money. And they didn't have the mindset to understand that. All they associated with money from religious leaders were people who took advantage of them. The Jewish community did not have that exact mindset. That's why a church planter is usually supported by a home mission at first, so that new converts and the community around the church don't misread the pastor's motives. Once the church matures, then it's all right for him to say, by the way, those who share the word of God with you, you have a responsibility to share some material things with them. This is a pattern throughout the Apostle Paul's ministry. In 1 Thessalonians 2.9, and 2 Thessalonians 3, you don't need to turn there. He says the same thing to the Thessalonians. He said, didn't I refrain from taking anything of yours? I've coveted no man's silver and gold. I worked hard with my hands. I was a tent maker. In Acts chapter 20, verse 33, he told these very elders from the church at Ephesus, this man has coveted no one's silver and gold. I've set an example for you that it's better to give than to receive, and so forth. In 2 Corinthians 11.9, he says basically the same thing. That was the pattern with Paul. Now, once the churches in Asia Minor matured to the point where they could handle it, then Paul told them they had a responsibility. And he didn't hesitate to take financial support. We studied this morning in Romans chapter 15, where Paul says to the Romans, when I come to Rome, I expect to be helped by you. Well, that's the point. They had matured. They understood. They would not think he had ulterior motives. The false teachers at Ephesus, which is where Timothy is stationed when Paul is writing this, also did their thing to make money. And you need to understand that that's really what Paul is dealing with. Paul is calling Timothy and the church at Ephesus to evaluate the men who lead them. That's the whole point and purpose of 1 Timothy 3. It's not so much to ordain new elders, it is to evaluate the men who are there. So let's look a little bit and see what the men who were there were like. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5. He says that those who advocate another doctrine, he says in verse 3, they are conceited in verse 4. And these are men who have, in verse 5, constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose, this is what they suppose, this is what they believed. Remember, he's dealing with some of the elders at Ephesus, men who believe that godliness is a means of great gain. In other words, it's just a religion's business. It's just to make money. They're in it to make a profit. I remember being with my dad one time and a few of his friends, and my dad said, ask him what he does for a living. 
whenever he says that, I think, uh-oh, you know, I'm in it now. So I said to this man, I said, what do you do for a living? He said, I sell religion. I said, you sell religion? And he went into explaining how he makes phone calls and tries to get people involved in these schemes and all kinds of things. He sells religion. The elders of the church at Ephesus sold religion. That's what they were in it for. Not all of them, but some of them. It was a business to them. In Titus chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, There are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach. Why? For the sake of sordid gain. They're doing their thing, teaching what they have to teach because they want to make money. They are in it for profit. They are in it for gain. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, had to warn the elders of Asia Minor, these men he was addressing, that they not be in the ministry for financial profit. 1 Peter chapter 5, let's look at that. Verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God among you, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. In other words, do it because God's called you to do it. Do it because you want to minister. Do it because it is a ministry. It is not to make money. It is not one of these professions that you're in it to pursue money. But I think the key passage in 1 Timothy about this very issue is 1 Timothy chapter 6. A passage that God used years ago in my life to convict me deeply of this whole attitude of being content with what I had and to be satisfied with what God had given me and would give me and to be one who would rest in Him and tell no man my needs but to rest in the sovereignty of God and to trust Him to meet my needs and not to be restless about this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But those who want to get rich... Now notice he's not saying these who are rich. There's nothing wrong with being rich. Abraham was a rich man. Job was a rich man. At least at the beginning and then at the end of the book of Job. There's nothing wrong in being rich. He's talking now about those who want to get rich. Those who are governed by that. Those whose ambition it is to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it. Notice they long for it. It's their ambition. Have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. Let's examine that. What are the problems for an elder to love money? Well, first of all, Paul says they fall into temptation. To fall into temptation does not mean to be tempted. It means to yield to temptation. It is not just that they are tempted, but that they have yielded to temptation. An elder can yield to all kinds of temptations when it comes to money. And that's very, very dangerous. A yielding to temptation. How can an elder yield to temptation? How can this be a problem? Well, he could yield to the temptation, if he loves money, he could yield to the temptation of treating wealthy people better than poor people. Of just going to visit those who look like they're well-dressed and have money with the obvious motives of get them into the church so that they'll give a good offering. And that would be a respecter of persons. And that would be wrong, to treat wealthy people better than poor people. An elder can yield to the temptation of playing politics with people in the church to get more money. He just becomes close friends with those who have money. And that's wrong. That doesn't mean he can't be friendly with those who have money, but he can't be friendly for those reasons to play politics so he gets favors or anything materially from them. Obviously, he can yield to the temptation of pocketing some money for himself. Many pastors have done this. 
fact, the pastor is infamous for people who run off with money. He could yield to the temptation of charging for his ministry. And I think that's one of the most dangerous things, charging. Everything has a price tag on it. And there are men in the ministry who will not come to speak at a church or a conference or even someone who has a singing ministry will not come unless you guarantee them money. I really believe that's wrong. I understand that they have to have their costs covered, but I believe that's wrong. And I have to deal with this in my own life. And I just have a very simple policy. I put no charge on my ministry. Never. Now, sometimes there are people who will give towards my ministry. We're talking about outside the church now. But I never ask for it, and I don't want to expect it. And I don't do it for money. I just don't do anything for the sole purpose of making money. If I did that, then the dynamics of the ministry would be gone, and quite frankly, the joy of the ministry would be gone. It would be a burden. And I really believe that those who charge for their ministry are spiritual prostitutes. Because what they are saying, in essence, is I want to get paid for you to use my spiritual gift. And I really believe that's wrong. That's prostitution. It may not be with the body, but it is with the spiritual gift, and that's wrong. So Paul says, first of all, that they fall into temptation. Secondly, he says they fall into a snare. Those who love money and those who want to get rich fall into a snare. After yielding to temptation, now you're a victim. Now you're a victim of your own greed and you are trapped by your own sin. And you speak to people and you meet people who love money and they are trapped. They can't get out of it. They never have enough. If they do one thing to make money, they've got to do another thing. They've got to do another, and they don't know when to stop. And they're always competing with someone else. And they never know the limits. This business deal is not enough. They have to do more and more and more and more. And they are trapped by it. They have fallen into a snare. A snare is an animal trap. They are a victim now. They are not in control. They are trapped. They are slaves to their own sin. And Paul says this leads to many foolish and harmful desires. The desire to be rich leads to other sinful desires. That's what he's saying. It's not enough that the desire to be rich is sinful in and of itself. But if you follow that, you will also develop more sinful desires. For instance, you could desire, and I'm speaking about someone in my role now, to desire to pastor a large church just for the fame and fortune of it and popularity of it. That's a sinful desire that comes as a result of the desire to get rich. An elder could desire to impress people with what he possesses. We're just applying this now, not even to elders, but to anybody. Desire to impress people with what you possess. I know a pastor who was never satisfied with his salary. No matter what he got, he was never satisfied. And it drove him to seek all kinds of material things. That's all he ever spoke about. All he ever spoke about. And it never satisfied him. And he really, quite frankly, lost his ministry because of this very issue of sinful desires. Instead of keeping spiritual concerns as his priority, he began to have things dominate his life, and he lost his ministry. He had no ministry because ministry wasn't really part of his vocabulary. That's addressed in Matthew chapter 6. This is very important for an elder, very important. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be too. If your goal is to make money and never satisfy with what you have, that is where your heart will be. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. 
If you're more concerned about your bank account than you are about your ministry, then that's where your heart is. And you've lost your ministry. You have no ministry, whether you have a label or not or a title. There are other sinful desires that come as a result. Back to 1 Timothy 6. There's a desire to be treated as a special character rather than a servant. The desire to be rich and famous and well-known develops in you that sinful desire to be a celebrity. And your attitude is, how can they treat me this way rather than I don't deserve anything? There are some people who make people feel sorry for them in order to get something from them rather than giving of themselves. And their whole ministry is based on I need a handout. And they disgrace the pastoral ministry. The ultimate result is found in verse 9, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. The word plunge is used in Luke 5, 7 to refer to a sinking boat overloaded with fish. In other words, a man who pursues money is a sinking man. That's the imagery here. He is one who is sinking into the depths of despair. And verse 10 says this, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith, that is, it leads to heresy, it leads to wrong doctrine, and pierce themselves with many a pang. Grief-stricken. Conscience is pierced. Pastors need to be reminded of Matthew chapter 6. Let's look back at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 now through 34. Let me just read it to you. And I think... All of us need to be reminded of this, especially men who might be considered in the future as an elder or our men who are elders, including myself. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 through 34. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. As to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on, is not life more than food and and the body than clothing? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is, of course it is. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. Neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious, then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles or pagans eagerly seek, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The point here being, you take care of your ministry and seek the righteousness of God, and he'll take care of your needs. That's the point. We live in a very material world and a man who is caught up in that materialism and pursues it and can't live without it. Or his wife pressures him that she can't live without it and he succumbs to that. Is not qualified to be an elder. He's not qualified to be a leader in the church. The church is a spiritual ministry and it doesn't need people who want to get rich. So that is the financial area that a man needs to be blameless in. He's not in it for the money. Let's move on to verses 4 and 5. This is the family area. This is very, very vital. And this is where a lot of men would be disqualified, even godly men, because this area is not in order. Verses 4 and 5. 
1 Timothy 3. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? The way a man runs his home is an indication of how he would run the church. I'm sure you've heard this phrase many times, but it bears repeating. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Today on Verse by Verse, we started to talk about the love of money. As the original Greek put it, a silver lover. If an elder's goal is to make money and never be satisfied with what they have, that is where the heart will be. If an elder is more concerned about their bank account than about ministry, then that's where their heart is, and they will lose their ministry. And as Pastor Steve mentioned, there are other sinful desires that come as a result. The bottom line is this. An elder, or really any one of us who pursues money, is a person who is sinking spiritually. Pastor Steve has more to say about a passion for money, and that will be coming on our next verse-by-verse broadcast. So, I hope you can join us then.